Father in heaven, we thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And God, we recognize our, our need today as we come before you. Many of us have uh, emotional, social, financial, psychological, vocational, and many spiritual needs this day. God, I pray that you would help us to rest, to recognize that the God of the universe sent his Son, that we might have peace between us, between God and mankind, that our sins might be forgiven, that there is no effort or task which we must accomplish in order to be at peace with you, but simply by recognition and repentance, we can receive the grace and mercy of the Lord of the universe, of the Lord of the Sabbath. So, Lord, today I pray that we would experience the rest and the peace of God that passes all understanding, that, Lord, we might inject the Sabbath of peace into our lives through your Spirit. And may the name of the Lord be praised. Amen. Today's scripture passage is taken from Mark chapter 2, verse 23 to chapter 3, verse 6. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal with him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stay up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Well, who remembers who was playing in the 1993 NCAA Men's Championship basketball game? Does anybody remember what happened? Anybody remember the teams that were playing then? No, don't say Duke. That's just like what people say when you say that. Um, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Sorry, you gave an honest answer. Um, anybody? Last service, somebody knew. I was really impressed with it. Carolina and Michigan, yeah. Uh, that's two, my two friends who have nothing more than to have a lot of useless information. Those two guys, I don't know if they know anything about else, but ask them about sports. They know all about it. So um, Steve Anthony's over here doing this. And what he's, what he's uh, referring to is it's Michigan has their fabulous five, five freshmen, very heralded, uh, big deal. They're playing in the national championship, and they're playing University of North Carolina. This is when Dean Smith's still there. 
And uh, great game, a lot of publicity, a lot of hype, great game. Gets down to the final seconds. As a matter of fact, gets down to about 14, uh, 13, 12 seconds. Chris Weber has the ball down by two points and uh, with about 13 or 14 seconds left in the game. Chris Weber gets the ball. He's over in the corner, and he gets kind of turned around. And if you're in the corner of the court, you got a man here and a man here. you got nowhere to go. I mean, you can foul and get out of it, but he didn't know what to do. And so he calls a timeout. Sound like a good idea? Well, normally it would be, but he didn't have any. And in college basketball, it's a bad thing when you call a timeout, especially when you've only got 11 seconds left. You call a timeout, and there's no time left. You don't have any timeouts left. And so things didn't turn out so well uh, for Michigan at that point, as you can imagine, because you're assessed a technical, and you have to give the ball back, and during that technical to get you free throws. Basically, it sealed the game at that point. And so you're significantly punished in sports when you call a timeout when you don't have one. Well, and life is kind of like that too, isn't it? If you take a timeout from your job and you don't have vacation coming, sometimes you get fired. It's, it's usually not a good thing when you take a timeout. Sometimes maybe when you're a parent with your children, you want to take a timeout, but then you recognize there's nobody else here. I don't get to take a timeout. I want to take one, but I can't take one right now. There are a lot of times in life we just want to call a timeout, but that's not always an option. It's not, not always available. And sometimes the penalty is greater than simply not taking the time out at all. But you know the great news about Jesus Christ is that he called a time out for all of us. The ultimate time out was when he said, you know what? I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to give myself. I'm going to suffer, die, be buried. But on the third day, I'm going to rise and I'm going to conquer sin and death. So that you no longer will have to perform the acts of the law, the ceremonial law and the civic law. And you no longer have to to, to perform the dietetic law to be right. You'll no longer have to be a part of the sacrificial system where you bring a, a lamb to sacrifice on behalf of your sins. I'm calling a time out from that. You get to receive my grace, my goodness, my perfection. And I'm going to cover you with that grace And I'm going to cover you with my perfect and sinless blood so that all your sins are forgiven if you will just believe and receive. Recognize that you're a sinner. Ask me to come into your life and forgive your sin and make me the Lord. I'll call a time out for all eternity. You'll experience me and my grace and my peace. Peace with God. You won't have to wonder, am I good enough for God? Am I doing enough for God? You won't have to ever wonder that anymore. We're talking about the Sabbath, time out for the Sabbath. And, you know, if you were like me, you grew up and there were certain expectations for the Sabbath. I had relatives, I remember, who wouldn't cook on Sunday. They didn't cook on Sunday. They certainly didn't go to a restaurant on Sunday. But uh, they were like uh, a lot of the Orthodox Jews. Their food would be cooked the day before and they would have it. And so we went to their house. We knew dinner was going to, we knew lunch was going to be ready after church. But they'd made it about uh, 18 hours ago. And um, and that was something they firmly practice and, and that's great. I, I respect that. Still Jews today are at least Orthodox and Hasidic Jews and conservative Jews still practice that uh, today. But as we look at the Sabbath today, Jesus is going to kind of take on something that's kind of had a life of its own come about. It's kind of grown to something that he had never intended. And as Jesus comes, you know, there's always a lot of questions about the law. You know, you'll hear people say, well, we're, I'm no longer under the law. I'm under grace. And that's true. Or some people will say, but, you know, the law is still in effect. 
And what the, one of the problems we have is what are we talking about when we reference the law? And in the Old Testament, there are, I will say, four different types of law. Some people would say three. Some place people say two. Some say five. And just so you know, it's not spelled out uh, like this. But this are, these are categories that we put under. And I want to give you four types of Old Testament law that existed uh, in this day, okay? The first one is ceremonial law. Ceremonial law. Now, what is ceremonial law? Ceremonial law was basically the ceremonial acts that you had to go through and that regarded to the temple, the regulations of the temple, the regulations of how the sacrifice was prevented, how you were to clean and to prepare. It's all those things that are considered ceremonial. And we know when Jesus Christ came and died and gave his life uh, upon the cross that the sacrificial system was complete. In other words, it was never to have to be done again. Uh, because Christ died once and for all. Now, an- another thing I think it uh, is important that you understand, the law never saved people. Law never saved. Just because you kept the law, it didn't mean, oh, I keep all the laws, I'm going to heaven. It's never what the Bible said. Even during the day of the law where people lived by the law, it was still the sacrifice. It was still the sacrificial system in which their sins were forgiven. It was a foreshadowing of the Christ who was to come. So when animals were sacrificed, that was actually the atoning uh, blood sacrifice that covered you for your sins on Yom Kippur, on that day, holy day for the year. And so even then, the law was a regulator, and it was a tool. Matter of fact, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, matter of fact, we'll put it on the screen for you, in Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 23, 24, and 25, but we'll look at 23 and 24 here. Before the coming of faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until faith. That was to, co- was to come would be revealed. Verse 24 says, so the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. It was our tutor. It was our helper until Christ came. So it makes it perfectly clear uh, what the purpose of the law was for back then. And today, uh, we, we recognize that Christ has come to fulfill the law. Uh, so, number two, there was the food law or the dietetic law. In other words, there were certain things that you weren't supposed to eat. And God did this for, for a couple of purposes. One purpose, so that his people might be different than other nations. So they had a different diet. And there were certain things they couldn't eat. We know they couldn't eat pork and certain types of shellfish they couldn't eat. And you know what's interesting to me is that God gives this over 3,000 years ago, and now, before it was cool, it was a low cholesterol diet, okay? And so, and now we're finding out, oh, you need to eat less pork. You know what I mean? And, and God, like, it instituted that before. Now, is that, a, is that a law we have to live by? No. It's, it's good advice. We know in the book of Acts that Peter was given the vision uh, that now you can receive whatever food. You can eat of whatever food that you like. Uh, it doesn't mean that we should gorge ourselves or eat too much bacon. I, I sure love bacon. Uh, but... Um, I mean, my wife's got me on turkey bacon, and believe it or not, I, I kind of like it now. That's like how long we've been eating it. But the truth of it is, is that we are now welcome to eat those things, but there were some real health benefits even back then, and no one would have ever known it, okay? But it was specifically for the purpose of being a separate people, a separate culture, a culture in which lived differently. Number three, the civic law uh, is no longer in effect because the civic law was specifically for Israel in that day, in that age, in that setting, the people that were around them, uh, the, the acts that were going on around them and in the culture that was there. We no longer use Israel as the standard for by which we should live. Israel 
is not Christian. Okay, uh, we we believe God God has a plan for Israel. He's going to use it. But what we would say, we're going to do everything they do. They're the standard by which we should live. We wouldn't say that. Okay, so the civic law is no longer a theocracy. The civic law is now been fulfilled through Christ. So what about the moral law? Now this is where the question comes in. I think very few people. There are there actually is a couple of offshoot. Um, faiths that still go by the ceremonial and food and civic. I don't, I don't know how you do do it because stoning's not permissible today. But uh, however however that works, some people still uh, ascribe to it. But the moral law uh, that's basically the Ten Commandments. Okay, now it's, it's it's more than that, but just for our purpose of, of conversation today, the Ten Commandments are the moral law, and all of these. Uh, are reaffirmed in the Sermon on the Mount and in, in other places except for the Sabbath. And so the debate becomes, is the Sabbath a moral law? Well, I think by its very nature, we wouldn't say the Sabbath was a moral law. Now, we do see good precedents for practicing the Sabbath. We see in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3 that after God had created the world, that he rested and he blessed it and said that it was holy. So we see that God, using using that term Sabbath, basically, he rested. He finished. After he had finished, he took a step back. He wasn't like us. After we finished things, we just kind of have to keep going back in and trying and readjusting. He'd go, oh, I don't know that I like her hair. I wish he was taller. I mean, God finished it, and he's complete. Okay? And he rested. And he took a step back. Now, we know God, the, you know, the creator of the universe doesn't have to physically rest, but he completed. And when God finishes something, he completes it. It's as he Wants it to be. It's as it should be. And so that's what he had done there. But we also know that uh, one of the great lessons uh, that God was teaching and one of the great gifts he was giving were, was this gift of the Sabbath to the nation of Israel. We're talking about a people group who had been slaves for 400 years. For 400 years, they didn't have a Sabbath. You didn't get the seventh day off. If you're a slave, you work every day. Now, your masters, they will take a day off. But they worked every day. And so for 400 years, that's all they knew. Even uh, when I maybe I wasn't necessarily in the fields or building, I was still helping. I was still having uh, to serve. And and it was still uh, an imperative upon my life. They never knew a day off. They never knew freedom. And God said, look, you have that mentality that you think you're always going to have to strive. And you're always going to have to please someone. He goes, I want you to just rest in me. I want to give you a gift. It's the Sabbath. And matter of fact, I am commanding you to obey this because it's not going to be in your nature. It's not going to be in your nature to receive it and to recognize, to reflect and to worship and to be still and know I'm God. You're going to think you still have to do something. You're always going to have that little nervous voice behind you telling you, you got to do this, you got to do that, or you're not going to make it, or you're going to be in trouble. And I'm telling you what the Sabbath is, is I am your rest. I am your peace. I am your purpose. There is nothing you need to do to find favor with me. I am going to give. That's what Jesus did. There's nothing else that needs to be done except recognize your need and receive me. And that's why Jesus is the ultimate Sabbath. The ultimate Sabbath rest. So when we talk about the Sabbath, we're talking about primarily Jesus Christ being the Sabbath, being the peace that has been granted to us and being the purpose for which we live and that we can rest in that fact that there's nothing else that needs to be accomplished. Everything that I do now is an act of worship and thanksgiving for what has already been done. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's look again 
and Mark chapter 2, beginning with the 23rd verse. On the Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So what's occurring here? Well, the disciples have been following Jesus. They're with him. They're going through the grain fields and they stop and they just they pluck some of the heads of grain and they kind of rub them in their hands. And then they're basically eating seeds. Okay, Uh, And so that's kind of what they're chewing on. That's what they're nursed. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 23 that you could do that. Uh, If you went through one of your neighboring Jews, uh, if you went through their fields, that you could just pluck off what you could eat. You couldn't store it. You couldn't put it in your pockets. Uh, you couldn't put it in a basket, but you could just take enough just to satisfy your hunger. So that's what they're doing. And the, the, uh, the Pharisees, and we talked about them last week, the, the religious order of the day, they say, look what they're doing. Look what they're doing on the Sabbath. <clears throat> and the problem is, is that was permissible. But they had something called rabbinic tradition. Rabbinic traditions we talked about last week was really commentary on how to live out the law, so to speak. So how to understand it? How do I practically do it? And when it came to the Sabbath, there was a lot to say. There were a lot of laws about the Sabbath. Matter of fact, in the Talmud alone, there are 23 pages of instructions on how to observe the Sabbath. 23 pages. You know, that's hard for a lot of us to read in one day. 23 pages and all these rules and regulations and how it should be done and all the things you can't do. And it was anything but a day of rest. Just trying to keep up with all the stuff I can't do. And so Jesus, you know what? I'm not held by rabbinic law. Matter of fact, that was never even meant to be the law. It was man-made commentary. And I know it started off well, but you just went crazy with this stuff. And you missed the whole principle. And Jesus is going to bring us back to the heart of the Sabbath. And so this is how he responds. He says, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered into the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is only lawful for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Jesus tells an instance of King David, whom they would have all respected, the greatest king that Israel had ever known. And he he tells him, he said, look, do you remember when David was on the run and he stops by the temple? And all that's available is the holy consecrated showbread. The bread that was considered holy and only to be eaten by the priest that was baked. As a matter of fact, it was probably baked on the day before the Sabbath. So they come in, there's this fresh bread. And David's permitted to partake of it. Did you remember that? Does anybody say he was sinning? What do you do with David here in this instance? He was hungry, he needed to be nourished. And we see here that Jesus is Lord over our necessities. The Sabbath is not subservient servant to our necessities. And Jesus says here, he says, look, the Sabbath was made for man. It was a gift. It was a principle. It was something that I have given to you. And he said, not the man for Sabbath. I didn't create man so that he could obey the Sabbath, so that he could worship the Sabbath. He continues here. He goes, so the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You know, We've already had Jesus in chapter 2 saying some pretty radical things. First of all, he forgives sins, you know, and that caused quite a stir. And they say, you know, only God can forgive sins. And they were right. He was God. He had that right. And then the fast, the whole fasting thing, he says, look, we don't have to fast. My disciples don't have to fast. 
I'm the bridegroom. I'm the Messiah. And while the Messiah is here, there's no need to fast. I mean, there, that's annoying. But now Jesus just goes over the top. If there was ever any question, the claims that he's making to be God, again, you're talking about the Sabbath being the most significant observation of the Jew at that time. Matter of fact, even today, I talked with one of the local rabbis. I said, what really defines you as a Jew? He says, well, first of all, you know, the nation of Israel, we're, you know, we're part of that culture. Second of all, we believe in Yahweh. And third, we keep the Sabbath. He said, I said, so that'd be primarily, he goes, yep, primarily it. That, that would be, that'd be primarily it. Now, again, this is, these are not conservative Jews, but this is another branch of Judaism. He said, the Sabbath is what it'd come down to. Uh, believe in Yahweh and keeping the Sabbath. This is huge. This is the big Ritual. This is the big thing you do that you know you have to do. Okay? It's the same mentality. You gotta be in the church every time the doors are open. Be there early. Stay late. And, um, and, and really not like it a lot too. I, I, somehow we thought that was spiritual when we were kids. You know, uh, if you complain a lot about going and gripe all the way back home, uh, you know, it's that kind of mentality. Alright? So here are the Pharisees. They're living and I'm sure people are feeling this with the 23 pages of instructions. And Jesus said, let me just tell you something. I, son of man, he uses the messianic term. He's already claimed to be the Messiah. Now he's making, he's leaving no doubt he's claiming to be God. He's joining these two terms together. Son of man, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. What? I'm Lord of the Sabbath. You're God of the Sabbath? You know what that means? It means you're God of everything. That's right. And they are so annoyed as we read in this next passage that... The Herodians and the Pharisees decide to get together and say, we've got to do something. Now, we don't even begin to understand what that means. The Herodians were the people who were loyal to Herod. They were basically pay-for-hire kind of deal, pay-to-be-holy, whatever you want me to be. Uh, but they had financially gleaned for them. They didn't really live by the law to begin with. Uh, the Pharisees really resented them, felt like we need serious reform in our office kind of deal. And they were constantly against them because they were the, the antithesis of the Herodians. And they decided to get together. That's the picture. The only way I can describe it, it would be like United States and Iran decided, hey, let's get together and see if we can do something about Israel. I mean, that's how radical it is. Let's be buddies uh, with the nation of Iran and uh, let's get the terrorists together because we got to do something about this. That's the picture. That's how radical it is. That's how disturbed they are at this point. And so we continue here. He says, another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Matter of fact, Matthew tells us this happened right afterwards. And a man with a shriveled hand there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? Now, what's interesting, if you go back to the Gospel of Luke, you, we all remember the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember how the Good Samaritan is the only one who will stop and help the man who's been seriously injured and, and wounded? Uh, we know that the priest and the, and the, and the Levite, they all walk by. Uh, they see the man and probably if it's on a Sabbath, hey, first of all, if he's dying, I can't touch a dead body. I'd be unclean. Secondly, if it's the Sabbath and he's not dying, he's going to make it, uh, then I'm not supposed to, to help him. Well, that would be against the Sabbath. It's only if he's not dead yet and he's 
And if I help him, he'll live, then that would be permissible, but they didn't even notice that. And I wonder if Jesus is not thinking about that when he said, look, what's better? To do evil? To pass by and to allow someone to suffer and to die? Or to minister to them? To help them and to assist them? What do you think's better? To heal this man? Because what's fun, what's interesting, if he had healed him on the next day, that would have been fine. But not on the Sabbath. Because we don't do stuff like that on the Sabbath. You know what I mean? We just keep the law and just keep our face going here. And Jesus said, you missed the whole point. You missed it. He continues here. And Jesus tells him. But they remained silent. He looked around in anger and deeply distressed at their hearts. He said, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hand and was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So we have to answer this question. What does the Sabbath mean today? We know what it meant then. It was law for them. It was part of their ceremonial law that they had to observe it. What does it mean for us today? We see it come up enough instances. And um, Hebrews talks about how it's the foreshadowing of Christ. That we understand that it's not just something that completely goes away, but what we understand is the fulfillment, the foreshadowing of the Sabbath was always pointing to the person of Jesus Christ in our relationship with Him. That Jesus would come and He would give peace to a people and to, to people today who wonder, am I going to make it? Am I good enough? What do I have to do to get saved? What do I have to do to have my sins forgiven? What do I have to do to secure a place with God for eternity? Jesus came and through his death, burial, and resurrection said, Believe in me. Recognize your need. And receive my grace and forgiveness. And rest in the fact that I've done all the work. You see, the Sabbath means this. That God has completely and totally taken care of your need. Totally taken care of your greatest need in life. And that's salvation. There's no law There's no acts. There's no sacrifices. God has completely done it all. And that you can rest in the peace of knowing that God Almighty has made a provision if you will simply receive it and accept it. That's peaceful. For a boy who asked Christ to come in his heart every day for 14 years because I was worried I hadn't done it right, I need to do this or whatever it was that I thought I was having to do. When I finally understood that I could know the peace of God that passes all understanding, That no longer was God against me. He was for me. He was with me. And I would worship because he has accepted me. Not so that he would. I experienced what Sabbath means. The peace and the rest of God. I'm resting on what Christ has done for me. So, why was the Sabbath commandment given? We talked about that earlier. So that people would understand. You know what? You want to stop and reflect. Why do I live? Why do I do what I do? Why do I go through the rat race? What is my purpose? Well, it's ultimately to bring glory to God. So it was a day to stop and to worship and to reflect and to give mercy. That's why it was given. That's why God appointed a specific day. And whether that's Sunday today or is it Saturday? Seriously, this question always comes up. Well, is it really okay to worship on Saturday? Well, if you want to get really legalistic, that, that's the day of the Sabbath. <laughs> okay? It, the Sabbath wasn't, it never was converted to Sunday. It was just the first day of worship. But, but Paul also tells us, you know what? Don't let people come in and tell you there's a certain day and there's a certain way. You know what? The question is, are we practicing the Sabbath? Are we practicing it? 
Are we practicing it daily in our lives? Are we allowing the peace of God as we sing, maybe in our car, as we read Scripture, or we are silent before God, as we practice those moments of silence, as we practice those moments of Sabbath? I think there's still good reason to say we see it in the early church. I could give you scripture after scripture where the Bible talks about how they came the first day of the week and they worshiped and they experienced Sabbath to a degree. So how do I practice Sabbath today? How do I practice it today? Well, number one, through worship. It ought to be a time where we worship, where we recognize the God of the universe and his gracious and loving kindness to us. And we praise him. We ought to practice mercy. We ought to help those who are in need and serve and to give of ourselves. Not because of what we can glean or that we can be recognized, but out of the goodness of our hearts, out of the spirit of transformation that's occurred in our heart. And we see the need and we go and we meet it and we minister, we heal, we encourage, we strengthen. We help people to become unbound. And yes, it's a time of rest. A time where we're still. And if you need to take a nap, great. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do on Sunday afternoon is take a nap. Good for you. But you know what? It's also, that's right, there you go. But also there's a word called avocation. Avocation simply means this. To do things that you wouldn't normally or naturally do. It's not a part of your work or your getting ahead in life. But the enjoyment of life. Maybe it's taking your kids to a ball game. Maybe it's going for a swim. Whatever it is that you take time to rest your body. And it's not about, am I gonna, how am I gonna make it? What am I gonna do to get ahead? How am I gonna make some more money? That's what God is asking us to take a step back and trust Him and say, Lord, I believe you're the Lord of the Sabbath. I believe that you're my Sabbath for my life. And I'm gonna rest in you. Doesn't mean, it's not a license. I get to be lazy now. It's never what it was talking about. It was talking about the peace and the rest of God. My confidence is now in what he's done as opposed to what I could do. And there are times a week that I make a special moment to say, I'm going to practice that. I'm going to reflect upon that. I'm going to experience that. And because we're so human, we have to do it intentionally. And that's why I think Sunday is still a good day to practice Sabbath. I hope you practice it the rest of the week. But it's a day where we come together and we worship. Next week, where we'll demonstrate mercy outside these walls. Some people say, what? Is that okay that you skip church like that? Hey, I don't know if it was okay for Jesus to let the disciples pluck the grain. Was it okay for the Good Samaritan to check? Yes, an act of mercy. The truth of it is we are to always show mercy. It's a time of rest where we come together. We encourage, we affirm. And we recognize that our purpose and our identity is not found out there, but here with God Almighty. What about you? you ever come to that place to where you've trusted and experienced the real rest? Are you still living in the world of Chris Weber? I need a time out. But if I take a time out, I'm in trouble. Hey, here's the great news. God's already called the eternal time out. And he said, you know what? While you were still sinners, I called a time out for you. And it's always available to you. You can come and rest in that. You can take peace and solace in knowing that I've already covered your sins. I've already created your purpose and I've already set up an eternal account for you that will be for eternity. Have you experienced that? I want to invite you to. Let's take a moment.
If you have never trusted Christ, I want to invite you to just say, Jesus, I recognize my need for you. Come into my life and forgive me and save me of my sins. I want to put my trust in you and I want to rest in you. So God, right now I transfer my trust from what I can do for all the efforts and all the things that I try to accomplish to what you've done for me on the cross. Lord, save me. Maybe you're a believer and you find yourself continually striving, trying to be good enough, trying to do enough so that you feel like you're acceptable. Hey, if you're doing it for any other reason than an act of worship, an act of thanksgiving to your Holy Father, then you're out of balance, you're out of line. You're missing the peace and the rest. These aren't things you have to do. They're things you get to do as an act of worship. And it's a big paradigm shift. Have you come to that place where you recognize, you know what, he's already done the work. I just want to say thank you. I just want to worship. I just want to be a part of this kingdom and grow and empower, empower and, and encourage his kingdom. And lastly, maybe you're here today and uh, there's so much strife and turmoil in your life. And you're wondering, God, are things ever going to change? I want to ask you to just say, Jesus, I, today I want to take a step towards you. I want to place in your hands the things I cannot control and I cannot fix. More of the things I can do, I will do what you ask. And I'll do it honorably and lovingly, and I'll work as hard as I can. But the things I cannot do, Lord, I will trust in you. 